Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. Last time we were doing a podcast, we talked about siblings and the meanings of siblings, the bonds that are built or not built, how to praise your siblings, how to praise your children when you have two or three of them, how you as a couple, husband, wife, or partners work through and resolve conflicts is definitely going to be the role model for how siblings learn to handle each other, much less their own marriages and relationships. So we learned a lot, and that sometimes our kids, as they get older, our children, as hard as it might be, we need to let them solve their own problems. That was the biggest thing for me, because it's difficult for many parents to sit back and kind of watch their children struggle and learn. But really, at the end of the day, that is the only way they're going to master the skills that they need to solve problems both for themselves within any relationship, but specifically the sibling one. And you can find all these podcasts and good videos on my website or on iTunes, www.drsophie.com, or Dr. Sophie On Call is the phone app. So jump on. It's free. And educate yourself. This week, we are going to be talking about the human mind, really an interesting organ of our body and really runs the whole machine. But I think some of the questions that are simply put are, how does our mind actually work? Because many people have no clue of how you actually come up with a thought, come up with a feeling, how medications may help or don't help, and what the role of biochemistry and your mind is and how that really orchestrates everything we think and everything we feel, and actually all of our movements. So that's really one of our biggest questions. How does our mind work? And why do some of us have better memories than others? Is it a genetic thing? Is it the food we eat? Is it the way that we keep our sweep intact? Those are the questions we wanna know. What is our mind doing while we're sleeping? Are we dreaming? Are we thinking? Are we actually feeling and experiencing what we're dreaming? Great questions, we're gonna answer all of them today. And we also want to know, how do you age your mind? I mean, as we get older, do we get older in our mind? Is that what dementia is? Like, what's going on up there? one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Every caller will receive a free signed copy of my book, Side by Side, the conflict-free mother-daughter resolution book. You got to have it. Joining me today to talk about our mind on many levels is Dr. Bill Clem. He is a noted teacher, brain researcher, and has a lot of experience, 48 years of experience as a professor at Texas A&M University and Iowa State University, has a memory website. He'll tell us all about that. And he has his own personal website. He's got his Facebook and he's got his book. So we're going to be talking about all of that today. But I also want to talk to him about the mind. Dr. Clem, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. How are you? I'm just fine. What can I tell you and your audience? You can tell us everything you know about the mind. But I want to ask you a couple of questions first. I'm sure you get this question all the time, but how does our mind work? How do we simply explain that to people? Uh, <laughs> if you can remember. Well, I wrote a couple of books on it. How much time have you got? <laughs> well, probably about 30 seconds, but go ahead. Give me the short version. Uh, well, our, our mind works with nerve impulses, which... Uh, are the currency of thought. In other words, you, your, your brain represents the world that it sees or hears or smells or whatever in the form of nerve impulses. And, and they uh, are a message representing uh, information. And, the, and we think with those messages. So 
That that's very helpful. And so, as a pitcher in your mind, I think it's helpful if our listeners remember when you look at a, a picture of a of a brain, you see a lot of like wires and that kind of thing. Is it electrical? Is that what you're saying? It's kind of oh yes, ab- absolutely. In fact, you can think of it as as liquid state electronics. Ah, uh, everybody has heard of solid state electronics, which right. are used in computers, but in the brain, it's liquid state. Tell me more. Well, the liquid uh, electronics are ions that uh, flow in a liquid medium, you know, mostly water. Right. And so it's moving back and forth, and all of that electronic movement in a liquid form going from one place to the other is what creates thoughts and feelings? That's right. And movements? That's right. Okay. So is there some genetic piece to that? So, like, if your mom or dad's mind doesn't work or their liquid states don't flow well and their electronics don't kind of hit on all cylinders. Is that a genetic thing you can inherit? Well, it's a mixture of both genetics and and your learning experiences over the lifetime up to the point that you're you're, uh, looking at the person's performance. Okay, so then we're not all born with the same basic... foundation machines and mechanics but no, pretty much obviously we don't all have the same experiences in learning either right and so then based on whatever components you're born with the experiences and how life goes for you influences also how your mind will work correct absolutely so how tell me how an experience can make your mind work or not work well an experience uh, changes the connections in your circuitry how uh, these impulses that I referred to flow in circuits, and different circuit arrangements represent different kinds of information. And when you learn something new or experience something new and remember it, uh, it causes a, a lasting change in the circuitry to, so that it can be represented again in the future. And the, these changes in the circuits are actually biochemical and anatomical. They, uh, um, you know, if they, if they learn and if they persist, they they are become permanent biochemical uh, change. Okay, and so then that means that you grow up and you have an experience. So parenting is an experience, how you interact with your parents, how they interact with you, discipline, that kind of stuff. Those things over time will change flows, and then those things then make the flow stay consistent, I guess. And then with that consistent flow going on, you activate those places in your brain on a regular basis to get the reaction from that, and then that's just who formulate, that's how you formulate who you are and how you respond. That's, that's right. Okay. And, and when each time you reactivate those uh, past experiences, they're subject to change. And uh, depending on what's occurring at the time that you reactivated them. In fact, that's one of the therapies now for uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, to uh, reactivate the uh, the memories and then and then uh, intervene either with drugs or with uh, counseling to change change the memory or at least change the emotional impact of the memory got it and and that's how you disconnect those thoughts from those feelings that created the trauma from the trauma and you can replace them with something different to create a different yeah. feeling yeah interesting and so in people's minds then i guess i want them to see in the, this picture so the river's flowing one way but you can sh- change the shape and the flow of the water to another is that how the liquid gets moved around 
Now, what gets moved around are the nerve impulses flowing in nerve fibers. So uh, the information is constrained by the, the wiring diagram, so to speak. Okay, and so it just flows based on what input it's getting, though, right? That's the only thing that can change it. And memory, of right. course. And memory. And it's based on memory, and then it flows based on external experiences. Yeah. Okay. And then is there any influence on your mind that our listeners can kind of learn that would be helpful? Like, how helpful is sleep? How helpful is good nutrition? And I know these are simply no-brainer answer questions, but in general, like, what does sleep really do and help, and how does it really help your mind? We don't know why we need sleep, but we do. Right. And one of the things they've learned in the last few years about sleep is that the brain is working <laughs> and forming memories of the day's activities. And if you short yourself on sleep, you actually interfere with the formation of memories. So tell me more. How does it actually take the day and transform that it, into a memory? Well, apparently it replays the messages over and over, and, and that's part of what we call a consolidation process, where a temporary memory gets set in concrete, so to speak. And that only happens during sleep? No, but it does happen in sleep. And, and so if we don't have enough sleep, we're cutting down that process. That's right. And then that leads to... Oh, and the other thing about sleep is that it prevents interferences. In other words, one of the big problems in forming memories is that you wipe them off with uh, conflicting or new information. It's like a scratch pad or a blackboard. You know, you write something on the board and then you erase it before it gets formed permanently. Well, right. if you're asleep, you're not getting any new information, so your brain has nothing to do except work on the, uh, the current information. And so you're not really building, you're just working on current information. And right so, when you're asleep. Right. And then that's why sleep is important. How about nutrition? Uh, for most people, it's not a problem. But if you're nutritionally deficient, then it interferes with brain function in general, which brings up this point, that anytime you interfere with brain function in general, you also interfere with memory formation. Is that a global kind of thing you would say, that any kind of mind brain function disruption will then lead to lack of memory formation. Yes, yes. you know, uh, disruptive emotions, stress, uh, poor nutrition, deterioration with age, all those things do both things at the same time. In other words, they impair brain function and they also impair memory. Okay. I want you to take a caller with me, then I want to come back and answer a question of why is it important to build memories. Okay, so let's take Valerie. Valerie, are you with us? Hi. Hey, Valerie. You. Hi, uh, you're on with myself and Dr. Clem. Hi, Valerie. What's your question? Well, my daughter is 11 years old, and she's having, it sounds like, horrific nightmares. She just wakes up screaming, and I don't know what to do. I don't know if there's something in her mind that's going on that she can't, like, get rid of. I, there hasn't been any traumatic events, and I just don't know if I should be concerned at all or what I should do. I don't know. Of course, it, it's not rare for kids to have nightmares. So I, I guess concern you should be would depend on how severe the nightmares are and how frequent and so forth. Yeah, is it a new thing, Valerie, or is this a constant reoccurring thing? It's a new thing, but I just I just wondered if there's like a memory from like when she was three. I went through a pretty traumatic divorce when she was three, but I'm trying to, but is it, can something be held into the mind that long and then just resurface? Uh, I don't know, but I, I would certainly try to 
learn more about what's going on in her daily life right now. Yeah, because you know what's going on, Valerie, probably, is that there's something in her daily existence that's stirring something up for her, and she's getting broken through in her sleep, but what that core is is what has to be looked at. Either there's something unresolved during the day, or there's something that's happening during the day that is attached to an old memory and it's breaking through. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and it may not be something she wants to talk about. Right, and that's why it's coming out in her sleep. That's key. What Dr. Clem just said is really key. It's coming out in her sleep because that's when her brain is not necessarily under her control, and that's when the things maybe you don't want to think or feel are coming up. Okay. So, so the, do you suggest counseling? No, I suggest it, that it's a red flag for you, and you should kind of sit down with her and kind of see what's going on in her day-to-day -day to see if there's some red flag. You can connect that other red flag of getting awoken up like that too and then discuss it and resolve that conflict for her because it's really clearly waking her up and breaking through okay okay great thank you so much thank you hope that helps thank you bye-bye okay so dr clem i want to go back and ask you so if we interfere with any brain function we interfere with the makings of memories why do we need memories uh, i just posted a blog on this subject, it's my blog site, by the way, is thank you brain, all one word, thank you brain dot blogspot dot com. Got it. Thank and you brain. Current, and the current post is titled Five Reasons That Memorization Is Important. Okay, tell me them. And the first reason is that it's good discipline for the mind. You remember maybe when you were younger in school, they, they had you memorize poems and speeches and so forth? Yep, I remember. The, the, the main reason for doing that is to discipline your mind. Unfortunately, I don't think they do that much anymore. So it's like working a muscle and getting it in shape. That's right. The second reason is you, you can't always Google information. First of all, when you do, you get millions of hits that are irrelevant. Right. And secondly, to use a foreign language or, or to speak uh, quickly, uh, extemporaneously, or to be an expert in any kind of field, you have to have that information in your brain, not in Google. So it's like a bank of knowledge you need to be pulling from. Right. And in order to build the bank, you need the memories. And that brings up the third point, that m what you've memorized is the repertoire with which you think. So like the script. That, well, and, and it's your, your built-in library, and you think with what's in your library, in your brain. So you're not going to talk about how to make windows and glass if that's not in your memory. That's right. That's why we, and that's why it, that translates into not knowing certain things. Uh, in, in fact, I have a little theory about how we think. We, uh, most people know what working memory is. That's when you look up a phone number in a phone book and, and remember it at least long enough to dial it. Right. Well, you're thinking about those numbers. That's, that's what you're thinking with. And any kind of thought I got is, it. is taking what's in your working memory and shoving it into a thought engine, if you want to call it that, and then it shoves in another batch of information, and then another, and then another. So where does this information in working memory come from? Well, it can either come from Google, which takes a while to look it all up, right. or it can come out of your memory store in your own brain. Right. I got it. So you need those experiences to build that working memory and that foundation to pull from. So it's like the fund of knowledge or the bank of knowledge in your brain to be able to utilize numbers to then remember a phone book number to get up to dial it. And the fourth related reason is that if you want to think at high speed, 
with with uh, a, a good rigor, uh, you need to have that information on hand in your brain, not in a dictionary or in a Google search. And then the last thing, the last reason, is that when you exercise memory, you, you create uh, learning and memory schemas. And these are uh, sort of built-in expert systems that uh, accumulate over the years as you as you develop experiences, learning experiences, and ways of memorizing. And are they topic-related, would you say? No, it's general. Okay. That's, that's the beauty of, of having learning schemas. In other words, what it amounts to is that the more you uh, learn and remember, the more you can learn. Right. And this is what uh, makes experts experts. They they learn their field better than other people do because they have these built-in schemas that speed up the process. Right. Another example is with uh, older people, and they've noticed that a lot of old people have pretty good mental function, even though their brains show uh, Alzheimer's plaques and and other signs of dementia. And their brains are just relying or compensating uh, with the learned schema that have been acquired over the years. So just go through that again with me with the dementia piece. So you've had these schemas in there, and then do they not work as well, and that's why we see the symptoms of dementia? No, no. The schemas compensate for whatever damage is occurring ah, with age. So they're really, really the, the guy that comes up behind the wiring that's getting brittle and old and says, look, you had this foundation, use it. Uh, yeah. Because that's otherwise they would have nothing and they would just sit there and not know what the next step is. Of course, if dementia progresses far enough, then of course that doesn't, doesn't help. Right. But so, and when it does progress dementia and the wiring does get more broken, the schemas that have been there don't support it at all then? And is that because they can't get through or how come? Well, it's become because the brain has become so dysfunctional that the schemas can't work anymore. Got it. So they're not of any value. Yeah, but they've they've noticed that um, a lot of people older, you know, when they do brain scans on them and so forth, should be uh, more dysfunctional than they are, <laughs> and, uh -huh. and their brains are just compensating from uh, the, the years of accumulated schema. Okay. I want to read you an email that one of our uh, listeners posted, and then I want to ask you a question. Okay. This is from Tamara, and Tamara asks, is it actual age or is it childhood trauma that prevents appropriate aging? And I think Childhood trauma uh, is stressful, obviously. Right. And stress can kill neurons. And does it kill them, slow them down, or it really knocks them out? Both. Both. Okay. And it's a function of how much stress there is, of course. Yeah. And but so... I, I would say that, uh, and, and there's no... There, there's plenty of evidence showing that stress is harmful for neurons, but uh, I haven't seen any evidence to show that it's linked to accelerated aging, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I think by aging, she also means like emotional aging and the way that you handle yourself. So do those... Obviously, the, what you're saying then is if trauma kills off neurons, that's going to slow down growth in general and emotional abilities and all of that stuff that your mind does is going to be hindered. Yeah. And does it ever catch itself up even though there not, might not be as much matter and workable neurons? Oh, does sure. it ever over? It's uh, a very uh, plastic organ. I mean, by that I mean it can compensate in many ways, partly through schemas, as I just mentioned, but it can also 
uh, develop new pathways and new circuitry. So even though you have childhood trauma or whatever it is that prevents you from the growth that you should have had, you can overcompensate and overgrow it in time if you get on the on a better path and fix yes, whatever yes, was the insult. Okay. All right. And then another question is, is a child who is developmentally delayed showing that they have experienced trauma and cannot move past it and needs help, or is it really just a brain dysfunction well, from it, in it utero? It can be, but, but we have to remember that kids mature at different rates, and normally. Right. And so just because um, a kid is a year or two behind uh, is not necessarily uh, something to worry about. So you kind of just wait and watch? Well, if, if you uh, got concerns, you make sure that they get plenty of mental stimulation. Okay, and then you check things out, and if there's nothing really obvious wrong, it's okay. Sometimes you just wait and watch. Yeah. Okay, and ha another question. How does our mind actually age? Is it the wires getting older? Like, what, does the whole thing just progress till it um, dries up? Well, neurons die. On their own? Yeah. What's the lifespan? Well, most of them last for a lifetime. That's true, but... But whether or not they die depends on stress, it depends on your nutrition, depends on... Sleep, uh, all that stuff. Exercise uh, helps sustain neurons for reasons we don't understand. Okay. But so the brain actually ages by the number of neurons that are alive? And, and their connections. You know, they, a, a nerve cell spend, sends out little uh, fibers, branches, like a tree, that go to other neurons, and, and these connections can wither on the vine, so to speak. They, they can uh, atrophy and shrivel up. Okay, so how do we slow down the process of aging in our brain then? Can we ever slow down that process of aging? Yes. I mean, there are a lot of people in their uh, 80s and 90s who are sharp as a tack, and, and a lot of it is because they've been mentally active all their life. So that's really the exercise to keep your brain well, when I Healthy. said exercise earlier, I meant physical exercise, and but here, here we're talking about mental exercise. Right. So and, mental. And both forms of exercise are good for your brain. Right. So the more you keep yourself active in a brain sense of exercise, then the longer you're going to have that organ working. Absolutely. Okay. And then can you? In fact, they did a. Uh, there's a, a research program called the Nun Study, where. How do you spell and, that? And they selected nuns, you know, Catholic nuns. Oh, nuns. Uh, they selected them because their lifestyles are all the same, uh, or in general, you know. And so it's a good cohort to, to study aging in. And what they found was that, uh, th that those nuns, when they signed up for the nunnery, you know, they take exams and they write uh, essays and right. so forth. And, and they found out that the, the, the ones who had the best thinking processes when they were in their 20s aged less mentally, and we're less likely to have Alzheimer's than the other nuns. Why, though? Because they put in the information earlier? Well, if, the, the assumption, nobody knows for sure. I mean, they were mentally active to start with. That's why they scored well on these admission tests. Right. But uh, the likelihood is that if they were mentally active then, they were more likely to have been mentally active throughout their aging process. Got it. And so that's why it proved kind of the earlier and the more consistent you are with your mental exercise, the longer it'll last you because the variables of that experiment, they all live pretty much the same. So yeah. that was the biggest thing to look right. at. Okay, got it. All right. The, uh, one other question. So if you lose and neuron dies or however you lose it from trauma or age or lack of nutrition, can they be regenerated? Do they grow there, back? There is some
some new evidence in the last 10 years that the brain makes new neurons. That's it's birth great. to them. There's stem cells in the brain that will will turn into new neurons. But most of them die if they're not recruited into circuitry. So, and they get recruited into circuitry by, by you know, mental demands. So, and, no that, and this has been demonstrated in the brain structure called the hippocampus, which is the structure that forms memories, by the way. And apparently some in the cortex, the outer part of the brain that you think with. Got it. So they can regenerate or regrow, but they have to be then incorporated into the bigger machine or else they die off again. That's right. And they get reconnected through different parts of the brain. So, again, the bottom line is keep your brain active, keep thinking, reading, feeling, all that kind of stuff. Use it or lose it. Exactly. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about you and how we can find your book and your blog spot well, two and all books that. books on, on memory, and one is for students called Better Grades, Less Effort. Ooh, I like that. And it's that. an e-book, priced real inexpensive so students can afford it. And it's available at uh, Amazon, but, but the best place to get it is at smashwords.com. Ooh, okay. Because they make it available in all formats, all e-formats, and you get to pick which format you want. Then my other memory book is the general audience uh, book on memory processes in general and, and how to uh, get better tactics and strategies for learning in memory. It's called Memory Power 101. Very nice. And it's available at skyhorse.com or at bookstores. Very nice. And you're on Facebook, correct? Yeah. And we can always reach you that way. Yeah. And Blogspot, we can always get on that as well. Yeah, thankyoubrain.blogspot.com. Okay, and your personal website, thankyoubrain.com, we can also reach you that way. That's right. All right, Dr. Clem, thank you very much for sharing your years of experience. It's very valued information. Okay, well, thank you for your interest. Good talking with you. You too. Bye-bye. Wow, I think I just forgot what he said. No, I remember, I remember, because I keep my brain active. Very interesting discussion about brain, mind, and how it functions or doesn't function if you don't keep it going, but... Um, I think the four things to take away from today is that the brain is a electrical system, but more liquidly done. So it flows back and forth in the biochemistry of the brain between blood and neuro neurons and neurotransmitters like serotonin and epinephrine and dopamine and all of those kinds of things. They're the things that are flowing within the blood from parts of the brain to other parts. And that's what makes your brain work. But it's a liquid electrical system. So we got to remember that. And that I think it's really key to also know that you've got to keep your sweep intact because that's what's going to keep your brain going, that sleeping and that eating and that laughing and that crying and playing and having fun. So it's really key to keep your brain in a healthy, hygienic way to keep it functioning. Number two, I think, is important that we do need our brain to build a foundation of memories. And memories are really important because memories are what build the banks of knowledge that we pull from to use every day to build more memories or to function and or both. So we need to constantly be doing stuff with our brain so that it be in, gets into the machine of becoming a memory. And the machine that takes the information we gather during the day and turns it into a memory is sleep. And that's the number one topic in sweep. You gotta sleep. It's important to sleep because your brain will take the information you learned all day and turn it into a format of a memory, and the memories 
that you have are where you pull your information from. For example, like Dr. Clem said, if you go look at the the phone book and you need to remember a number to dial it, you got to pull those numbers from somewhere. You don't just look at a number five and know it's a five. You know it's a five because you learned it was a five a long time ago and you kept that as a memory. And you got to keep it as a memory because you're sleeping. So you got to sleep. So memories are key, but sleep is key to make the memory. And also that the nerve cells of your brain, which create that liquid electrical system, they are called neurons. And so they can die off from trauma, lack of nutrition, lack of sleep for whatever, but they can grow back. But they don't just grow back and function. They have to grow back and be integrated into the already working machine. And that happens through parts of your brain, again, during sleep and again with good nutrition. So they can come back, but they got to be reconnected and they only get reconnected if you're sleeping well. And then I think the bigger issue that he taught us is the way to keep yourself healthy, the way to keep your brain from aging, the way to have your brain when you're 90 working like it did when it was 50 and when it was 20-ish is to use it or lose it. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away from today. You got a brain, you got a mind, use it or lose it because if you don't, it will basically not function over time and basically dry up. Thank you to all my listeners, and thank you for all you guys that call in, that write in to me, emails, texting. I love it all. I think it's always great information for me to be able to then decide what podcasts we need to do, should do, and would be fun to do, and what, importantly, is going to help you guys be better people, better parents, and better community members. Podcasts are always available on my website and on iTunes. And my website is www.drsophie.com. My new phone app is available. Please get on iTunes and get it. It's on call, Dr. Sophie. Just search it, download it. It's free. Tons of great information. I'm available all the time on my voicemail, 1-855-767-4966 or 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW. Title of my book is Side by Side. It's always there for you. There's a workbook on my phone app. It's really great and really helpful. You can do it with your daughter. And it really works you through how to master the skills of conflict resolution. Again, Twitter and Facebook are great places to find me. iTunes is a, is the place that you want to go to for, again, the phone app on call, Dr. Sophie. And go to iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And again, as we learned today, don't forget to sweep. But you got to keep your head up, oh. 